Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. The reading is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came... Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. It's wonderful to see you here in the building and the many who are joining us online as well. Lovely to be with you this morning. And uh, let me begin by saying a big thank you to all those who have brought us to this point in the service, Uh, our intercessors, readers, uh, the band, and Ben particularly, thank you for leading us in thinking about both the reality and the challenge of harvest. I wonder what your experience is of authority. I was a uh, secondary school teacher. Authority was a a big deal. It's part of that age-old dance between teachers and pupils. Who has authority? I will never forget one exchange that I had with my tutor group as we met on a Tuesday afternoon. A few of the boys had been badly behaved in one teacher's lessons, and uh, I challenged them on it, and I said, Look, you know, is it, is it true you've been messing around in Mr. X's classes and, you know, is that not hindering your and everyone else's learning and so forth? And they said, well, yeah, it is. Well, we have been messing around a bit. But uh, the problem is Mr. X has no control. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Have you been messing around? Yes, because Mr. X has no control. I mean, it's a fascinating insight into a 14-year-old's mind. I wanted to ask, could it be that the reason Mr. X has no control is that you're bouncing off the walls? But no, they, they understood it differently. Deep down, they kind of wanted Mr. X to take the whole thing in hand. But because poor Mr. X didn't have it in him, there was nothing to be done but mess around, and he deserved no better. Shout out, by the way, to all our wonderful teachers. I can't understand or imagine how you manage all of this on Zoom at the moment, but well done. We're praying for you. I wonder how you experience authority 
Perhaps your experience has been of relatively good authority. You've had a servant-hearted boss or a teacher with grip and generosity or a leader with great integrity. Perhaps it's quite the opposite. And you've suffered under destructive or even abusive authority in the home or the workplace, perhaps even in church. Perhaps you find it hard to imagine authority ever being a good thing at all. Well, today in this next section of Mark's Gospel, it's all about authority, and specifically the God-given authority of the Lord Jesus, someone who was not tainted by human weakness and sin. And we see two things here, a God-given authority to teach and a God-given authority over evil. And when the people back then, as we read earlier, experienced this authority, they were amazed They were blown away, and it brought them to believe. And I'm praying that whatever our experience in the past, we too will be drawn anew this morning to this uniquely good, uniquely appropriate authority of Jesus Christ, and that we too would be amazed afresh at the one in whose loving kingdom we are called to live. So first of all, Jesus had God-given authority to teach Mark chapter 1, verse 21, and let me encourage you again, if you've got uh, the scriptures near you, got a Bible near you, do open it up uh, or click on the link that's underneath uh, the video and look at the text. Mark chapter 1, verse 21, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were all amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teacher's of the law. So Jesus stood out for this peculiar authority. Now we need a little bit of background here. The people of Jesus' time, they were very familiar. They were happy with the idea of someone teaching in the synagogue, a rabbi. But the way the rabbis taught was they would cite the opinions of various different previous earlier rabbis on different matters. And so they would be in the business of appealing not to their own authority, but to the authority of others. But when people started to hear Jesus, they heard something quite different. He didn't seem to feel any need to appeal to a higher authority. He taught instead as one who knew the mind of God and was commissioned to declare it, as one one commentator put it. In doing so, he was really doing two things. Number one, he was saying, look, don't worry so much about what did Rabbi so-and-so say or what did Rabbi so-and-so say. Kind of think you know, their expertise is not, is not really required. That was the first thing he was doing. And secondly, he was claiming for himself a unique authority, one that superseded the rabbis, indeed, an authority that throughout the Bible, the way that Jesus started to talk, throughout the Bible, it was the kind of authority that belonged only to God. Now, so far, hopefully so clear, it's pr- pretty clear what's going on on a human level. Except it's quite a surprising story, isn't it? I mean, I don't know when the last time was you heard someone speak or teach in a way that claimed the authority of God. What happened? I mean, I, I guess we read this and we would have thought the expected outcome of this kind of teaching, would this, this, this is outrageous. What's this guy, who does this guy think he is? It chucked him out. What arrogance. What inappropriate disregard for all the wisdom that's gone before. Who does this megalomaniac think he is? 
Only Mark tells us, he tells us twice, once again at the end, the people weren't incensed. Verse 22, he said they were amazed at his teaching. They loved it. And it begs the question, why is that? Why didn't this kind of authoritative teaching immediately backfire? Well, one reason, I think, is what Jesus was able to do alongside his teaching, and we'll come to that in a moment. But another, surely, is contained in in what came before in Mark's gospel. Do you remember, Mark has been telling us previously how there was this moment when the heavens opened, and uh, you have God the Father speaking his approval on God the Son. And now Jesus adopts the authoritative voice of God, because actually that's who he is. Verse 22 puts it, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. The reality is he actually did have authority. So when Jesus spoke, what people heard is not an arrogant man with misplaced authority acting like God. Deep down, they could feel this was God himself speaking to them. Now, I think just thinking about that has really important consequences for how we come to faith. Rico Tice, who's the author of the Christianity Explored course that we're currently running on Thursday evenings, great little course exploring the basics of Christianity. He has this lovely illustration, and he sets up this hypothetical scenario. He says, imagine you've got a bag of tiny white granules on your kitchen table, and the person who's given it to you says it's sugar, but you're not convinced. This is an illustration of whether he says he is, right? There's your sugar. You're not sure. How do you find out whether this bag is sugar? Well, one way to work it out is you can look at the outside of the bag. What does the stuff claim that it is? What does this say on the label? S-U-G-100 grams, carbohydrate, 100 grams, carbohydrate, 100 grams, of which sugar is 100. That's one way of working it out. Or suppose you're a bit scientifically savvy. You could uh, think up some great chemical tests that you can conduct to prove that it's sugar. The best way, probably, is to stick your finger in it. This is not very COVID safe, is it? (laughs) Never mind. Don't do this at home, or do, I don't know, not with more than six other people or whatever the rule is. Uh, Give it a lick and see what it tastes like. That's, That's the best way of just working it out. Now, think about that idea in terms of Jesus. How can we know that he is the Son of God? Well, we can. Look at what he says he is. That's a good start. It's hardly foolproof, though, is it? We could look at the historical evidence. What, what do the gospel accounts look like? Do they add up? Are they reliable testimony? That's important too. I think one of the best things we can do, though, is taste and see, as it were. Listen to Jesus. Keep listening to him. Listen deeply and attentively and ask, are these the words, is this the authority of God? And you know, I think my own personal testimony, I'm sure it's the same with many other people in, the, in this room and who are listening, is that when we hear Jesus speak to us, it is the Lord that we hear coming through the words. I read through John's gospel with a friend who, who wasn't a Christian a few years back, just the two of us, no prior commitment on his part that he believed what it said. But as we read the words of Jesus week by week, he increasingly had this sense 
this is God speaking to me. He was amazed. It was a wonderful experience just seeing the word come alive. I wonder when was the last time that you did that, that you attentively listened to the words of Christ, that you set aside some time in the evening, perhaps with one of the Gospels open, and just soaked in Christ's words. That, by the way, is the reason that I wanted us to start this new chapter of our life together as a church in Mark's Gospel. Because we got that chance in Mark's Gospel so directly to hear those same words of Jesus. And I'm really praying that as we do so, all of us, I include myself here, that we're going to be gripped with, in a new way, a new deep sense of the God-given authority of Jesus' teaching. But I also want to encourage you as I say that, this is, this is the way, this is one of the ways, a great way, I think, of sharing your faith with others. Look for every opportunity to share, not your words, because your and my words are just the words of another mortal, but the words of Christ himself. Who knows, perhaps your friends too, by God's grace, will come to be amazed at him. So Jesus has God-given authority to teach. Second, Jesus has God-given authority over evil. Verse 23, Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, this is definitely the harder bit of the passage to connect with. Uh, I think in the 21st century West, angels and demons, they sell good fiction. But if you start talking them actually existing in reality, everyone gets a bit squeamish. So I think we've got to deal with that first. What does it mean that this man was possessed by an impure spirit? Well, there are those who suggest that first century talk of demon possession and so forth. It was a primitive way of speaking about certain medical conditions. And certainly it must be true that The people of Jesus' day, they had a poor understanding of science of the body. They might well have resorted at times to spiritual explanations for things which actually were physiological. And it may well be that there's a physiological element to some of the stories of demon possession in the Bible. Chapter 9 in Mark's Gospel, which we'll eventually get to, has got a striking overlap with the symptoms of epilepsy. But here in chapter 1, unless the whole incident didn't happen at all like it's described, we surely have to take our lead from the way that Jesus handles it here. And Jesus clearly believes that there is some separate spiritual entity that has afflicted this man. And he acts accordingly and exorcises it. He commands the spirit to leave him, and so it does. Now, we modern Western, we struggle with this kind of thing. And we struggle with it because unlike most cultures across history and even across the world right now, we're extreme materialists. We struggle to believe that there is an unseen spiritual reality behind this one. At least on some level we do. Then again, 21st century Western materialism does need to be challenged a bit and interrogated. So on the one hand, in today's culture, if you listen only to the neuroscientists in their their published papers... Well, you'll be dismissive, not only of any talk of spirits and demons and so forth, but any talk of thinking that there is any such thing as 
evil in the metaphysical sense at all. The neuroscientists mostly would say, oh look, there's just brains that work fine, and they make mostly choices which we would call good, and then there are brains that don't work that well, and they make choices that we would call bad or evil. The trouble with that perspective is that very few people actually in today's world are really prepared to pull it through. See, if you start following that through, you have to come to the conclusion that not only is there no evil, there's no such thing as good either. In fact, there's no such thing as choice, because all the decisions our brains make are just the inevitable result of our past. And that would mean that no one can be held responsible for anything that they do. Now, I haven't met very many people who are actually prepared to believe that. In fact, most people think that's a pretty silly place to end up. And if you read the papers or you listen to the politicians, actually, the concept of evil is alive and well. So whatever we may say about the people in the first century, I think we've got to admit we're pretty confused too. Perhaps the reason we in the West don't have similar experiences to this that happened 2,000 years ago is that Satan's strategy has changed. Back then, I guess it was to frighten people, whereas today he finds he can get on with his work more effectively by pretending he doesn't exist. Now, that was a bit of a detour. But I think it's important, isn't it? It's, it's important because if we're unconvinced there's a such a thing as evil, then it doesn't make much of a difference that Jesus has authority about it. But if we do, and goodness knows, I'm sure some of us have experienced it, we see the extraordinary hope to be found that Jesus has God-given authority over evil. Four things stand out here, I think, for us. Number one. If you notice how this is another part of Jesus' 360-degree identity parade, that spirit says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Do you remember, we've gone around all these witnesses. You know, we've had Mark, the gospel writer, saying who Jesus is, the prophets, John, the Baptist, God the Father, God the Spirit, identifying Jesus from the heavens. And now even Jesus' enemies come out and say who he is with no doubt. Why is this happening? Because Mark wants us to answer the same question. This is what the spirits say. Who do you think Jesus is? I, I guess it's a bit like um, school geography. Do, do you remember that random fact about the signs that a volcano is about to erupt? It may have just been me. Uh, you know, they tell you, oh yeah, you know, there might be tremors and you know, there might be extra smoke coming out of the volcano. And, great factoid, the animals start behaving differently just before it's about to happen. And I suppose that's what's going on here. The powers of evil notice Jesus coming before anyone else does. And how will we respond is Mark's question. Will we be able to see the same thing? So Jesus' identity is made clear. Number two, it tells us Jesus is good. Uh, perhaps you've heard that phrase, uh, my enemy's enemy is not necessarily my friend, or some variation of that. Well, in this case, he is. Jesus has come onto the scene with huge authority. The fact that the evil spirits see him as an enemy tells us he's good. How hard it is to find goodness today. Well, here it is in Christ. It tells us Jesus is good. Number three, it's a foretaste of what is to come. Jesus has come to destroy the powers of evil. That's going to be part of his kingdom coming. And at his first coming, he began. He began that work, breaking down the powers that were opposed to him. Now, we all know, of course, evil 
has not left the building. The work is not finished. But this foretaste is a trailer of what is to come. Perhaps you're suffering right now under terrible evil. You see a frightening power at work in relationships or structures or circumstances. A power not for, not for good but for bad. Well, what Jesus has begun, he will one day bring to completion. And even now, we can call on him in the face of evil as the one whom God has given authority over it. So number three, it's a foretaste of what is to come. And finally, it's a reason to believe. Mark chapter 1, verse 27. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. I'm really praying that for each of us and for many who do not know Christ in this area, we would come and see the Lord Jesus' claim to authority, see his power over evil, and so believe in him. And that we too, each one of us, deeper and deeper and deeper, would be amazed at the one who is our savior. Let's pray. The people were all so amazed Heavenly Father, we pray that you would amaze us afresh in our day. Lord, draw us to the Lord Jesus. Bring his good, fair, just authority into our lives. Would we hear it and believe in him? And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.